welcome to this week's Betfair Cheltenham broadcast. We're delighted to have you back with us again this week where we'll be discussing the Arkle, the Turners, the Brown Advisory Novices Chase and the Champion Bumper. So lots to get through and we will remind you of what each of those races are, of course, as we get on to them. Basically, they're all just the Novice Chases and the Champion Bumper, of course. But before we move on to any of that, it's time to introduce our latest member of the podcast. It's Betfair's newest ambassador, hugely exciting signing for everyone at Betfair, of course. It is Bryony Frost. So, Bryony, great to have you with us. How are you, firstly? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. This is all uh, very different getting on uh, the Zoom. Uh, you're currently, you are on a celebration box, I'm afraid, balancing <laughs> with my phone. So if you drop off, I apologise, I'll pick you up as quick as I can. But yes, we're good. We're good. As long as it's only bounties left in that celebration box right now, <laughs> then we oh, can, no, okay. can oh, no. excuse that. Yeah, exactly. We're going to start that debate soon enough anyway. But um, no, great to have you with us, Bryony, and, and very well done for figuring out the technology. I was having my own issues myself, so I'm happy we are both together on that. Now, you had obviously a, a lovely winner at Weatherby then on Thursday for Lucy Wadden, but I have to start by asking about Yala Enki a couple of Saturdays ago. That was just brilliant to see him win. And of course, it is now officially his race, I think it's fair to say. I mean, how did he feel for you in that race? Uh, he, to describe him as his characteristics and that, you know, he just doesn't make sense. I, I don't think I will ever ride a horse with the stamina he has. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's taken me actually um, a bit of time to work out how much I can push him, how much I can ask of him. Uh, he's got his own way of jumping. Um, he, he makes me look silly. I see a stride and he tells me no, so I sit still and he goes for the stride. Um, but we, 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 we've sort of come together as partners now, but three years on the trot, um, at the 12 years young mm-hmm. for him to hold the enthusiasm, Paul to, to have him, uh, at that age, still at the level he is, um, as an athlete is, is incredible. But, yeah, there's always a worrying moment in the race. There was one down the back where, again, I asked him and he put down, but not as bad as the year before when uh, I, was, I was hugging onto his ears at a point after the last ditch. But uh, just, yeah, brilliant. Uh, he's he's uh, the definition of tough. Yeah, completely, completely. As hard as nails. And that was easily one of the highlights of that Saturday's racing as well. Where we had phenomenal stories everywhere. But but Yala Enki, obviously, he's going to stake his own claims in that. It's a given whatsoever. Now, of course, it's great to have you on board as part of Team Bet for now. I mean, is it something that you're excited about yourself, Brian? Uh, yeah, I'm pumped. I mean, Betfair as a, as a name in racing is huge. So to be uh, a part of the team with them all is, is epic like and you and you feel like oh, you actually you must have you must be doing something okay to be asked to join the <laughs> team so um but yes yeah, but super pumped I've got I've got the gear through now so I'm all branded up uh and it looks wicked mm. and uh hopefully we can we can do some really cool videos too like we're gonna try and think outside the box a little bit and just give uh the people a little bit of a, an insight into my world and what goes on as a jockey and yeah, just try and just try and shed a bit of light into it all. Yeah, for sure. I say so much exciting stuff coming up then from Bryony for Betfair as well. So stay tuned for all of that plenty, plenty to come. Now, of course, we do have uh, a couple of other members of this team this week as well. I will stop dosing Bryony for the time being, but don't go there because I will be back. Um, because, of course, we have Daryl Carter returning this week who we had on episode one, of course, as well. So, Daryl, how are you? Yeah, hi, okay. Uh, thanks. For, I'm really, really excited, actually. I'm, I'm a huge Bryony Frost fan. Uh, she's probably too modest to tell you, but I, I do see her now and again down at Wincanton, where I work quite often on course. And she's always gone out of her way to go and see the kids. Try and I see her trying to sneak a kid into the into the weighing room to go and have a look one time down there. But she's always going out of her way to take photos. Oh, so just a very small jockey. <laughs> yeah, probably, <laughs> probably was to be fair. But uh, yeah, a massive fan of Bryony. So this is really, really exciting for me. Um, I've had a quiet week, I guess. The highlight, though, was Tony Calvin's rendition of Crimea River about the Doncaster ground on the Wading podcast. <laughs> I don't know if anyone saw it. For a man that couldn't care less about 50% of the hurdles being removed at Kelso the week before, it was some mm-hmm. scream, I tell you. I loved it. Um, but uh, yeah, big, big fan of Bryony. Looking forward to get stuck into more, some more races and very, very grateful to be back on. 
Oh, wonderful. No, it's great to have you on anyway. And as you say, if you didn't catch that, do go back and have a listen to Tony's um, yeah, starring rendition. It really was quite something. And of course, our every week pundit, last pundit to introduce as well, last but not least though, Dan, is Dan Barber, back again to give us even more gold or such gold as he gave us last week with not dismissing Paisley Park for the stay as hurdle. So Dan, you were right. You were right about him. Yeah, t- till he gets there and refuses to race. <laughs> and I'm left with egg and on my whips face around yeah. full 360. Yeah. yeah, familiarity breeding contempt. I'm quite happy going last on the intros, Kate. I mean, <laughs> I- I'm not sufficiently big-headed. Yeah, I just want to echo what Daryl said. I mean, probably not a better rider around for getting a horse jumping. And some of the stuff that she she gives those insights that I don't think many do. So that's a great thing. There was something before we crack on, because we should crack on. Um, something I always think, like Yalarenki a horse like that he's not a top class chaser by any means by the metrics of what his rating is but he always seems to be those little targets and those little challenges that Paul Nichols sets for himself where that's his cup final he knew that was the horse's cup final from the day he'd won at Cheltenham and I, I just find that aspect of the training of horses and, and the preparation a massively fascinating aspect as well because as I said in week one I can't do any of that I don't know what goes on at home and that's something that Bryony thankfully can can join the dots with yeah, for sure. Exactly. Plenty, plenty of, of alternative insight then that Brian is going to be giving us. And just briefly, before we do get on to the race and then Brian, I just wanted to go back to you because the way that the team so far have introduced themselves to the show is to give their Cheltenham Festival highlights. Now, I don't think it would take a genius to probably work out what your Cheltenham Festival highlights going to be, but please enlighten us all the same. The first thing that really comes to mind for you. <laughs> well, you say, so off a personal note, it was obviously Frode. Um, but very closely followed by Pasha. Um, and Cheltenham has an extraordinary way of making uh, very rare memories. Um, and But the one that wasn't personal to me of riding would have been my very first one, really, would have probably been when Hayden won the attempt. And I remember having your nose stuck up against the screen of the telly, absolutely yelling him home jumping up and down, dogs going mad in the sitting room and making a, uh, getting a bed sheet and drawing, trying to draw Brenna Vista and Hayden and a big welcome home for him when he arrived back at God knows what time. But um, that would have been my main, my main memory uh, from the very first one. But ah, there's little snippets, you know, Hayden saying to me when we walked, I walked the course uh, for Pasha the Polder and Hayden said, as we were walking out through the, the stands there, out through the chute, he said, when you come out and pass, look up and make sure that you take every single person in because uh, it will blow your mind. Take the noise in, take everything in. Um, you know, don't just be, oh, the race, you have to focus on the race. And of course you do, but, you know, take in the atmosphere and come alive with it. You know, you're at the, you're at the biggest stage, so enjoy that you're performing on it. So, um, and then with Frode, uh, just come in, the, the race itself, was perfect. I remember him coming up so long at the ditch at uh, before the top of the hill, giggling at him, you know, just like, don't show off. Um, and then rolling off down the hill and, and, and feeling the pressure of of all of them trying to swamp me before the last and, and the feeling of battle we had to the line. And then it was like a waterfall of noise just pouring in um, on us and, and not quite realising what, what we had achieved that day. But the support down the chute was uh, you felt it, yeah. For sure. Like I say, the atmosphere as much as anything else rather than just the races one itself. And is it all go for this weekend for Frodo? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're rocking on. Our eye is firmly on the bullseye with both the boys, with Grenatine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Paul, we're, we're talking about plans. He is master at having plans. He has A, B, C and D for every horse in that yard. Um, and how, how he remembers them all. You know, it's not even like he writes them down. It, it is just naturally with him. And uh, the, the boys have had this plan. Um, we're going in search of the good ground. That's, that's what we want. Um, Tempton was, was soft for, for the pair of them um, when they ran. So, yeah, we're looking forward to getting a spring healed on good ground, going out there and, and uh, taking on the challenge because we, uh, we're taking on the best of the best and, and we're pumped to do so. 
for sure. So, so excited for that. And hopefully the left hand do get the ground that they deserve and everyone deserves in for the weekend. So that is some brilliant chat then with Bryony, of course. But we had better crack on then with our races that we're going to be talking about on this week's show. So we're going to begin with the Arco, if that's all right with everybody else. And we're obviously going to have plenty of overlap between the Arco and the Turners again. The Arco being run over one mile seven furlongs, 199 yards for the novice chasers, the Turners over two mile three furlongs, 168 yards for the other novice chasers. So, yes, um, you guess the Turners is the old marsh, the JLT, whatever else it's been called over the years, which uh, comes to something because basically when you sponsor a race, you only have to sponsor it for a year because you're then referred to as still as it being your race for the next season. So, yeah, because no one can basically be bothered to learn the new name. But we will start by focusing on the article. At least we know where we are with the article. And the current antipost market reads as Blue Lord as the favourite at 11-4. Edward Stone at 3-1 to one to potentially do the best of the British. Riviere Detel, the mayor in there at 7 to 1. Uen Collar at 8 to 1. Third time lucky who got back to winning ways on Saturday, 8 to 1 also. Saint Sam at 10s. Brave Siaska 16s. Course Sublime 25. Jungle Boogie will probably go elsewhere, but 25s and it's 40 to 1 bar. So, Brian, it's only polite to start with our latest guest first. Your initial assessment of these two mile novice chasers for the article, please. Well, uh, two, uh, two mile novice chaser is, is one of your biggest buzzers. He's, you know, he's still going through his career. Uh, he still hasn't found his ceiling yet. Uh, their jumping is coming together, but they, you know, we're talking about the biggest stage again. These are the most elite athletes we've we found in this division and they're taking each other on to ride in it. It will it'll be blistering. The fences will come mm -hmm. thick and fast. The horses have to be sharp. Um, I've tried chasing Edward Stone's tail. Uh, came nowhere near it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's you know these these two mile races uh, are are furiously fast, and uh, you get a you get a big buzz as a jockey. Um, there's there's no room for any mistakes, no room. Yeah, no, that's exactly it is there. And that's what is going to be put completely under pressure here, as we expect then, from these two more novice chases in the jumping division. So, Dan, I mean, we're going to see Blue Lord again this weekend, hopefully all being well in the Irish Arkle on Saturday, where he will be taking on Riviera de Tell, St. Sam, Uen Colour. Who are you expecting, or what are you expecting, really, to happen at Leopardstown? And how do you think that may impact the Arkle, I guess? Well, I think this is actually probably a good time to get involved in this market. Now, Obviously, we must point out, of course, that Fernie Hollow's yes. exit from the scene has has blown it wide apart. He was looking like one of the shorter price favourites of the week. But a few things to come from that for, for me. At first, I was disappointed because I missed the price on Edward Stone, but, but then you reassess, don't you, nearer the time. And I do think there's still mileage in Edward Stone. And, and I, the reason I think it's not a bad time to play is because potentially on Saturday, you've got Riviere de Tell, St. Sam, You've got Blue Lord as well, uh, taking each other on. So at least two of the horses that are in the market in all likelihood will be a will be a bigger price at the close of play Saturday than they were at the start of it. And I just think Edward Stone's a very very solid horse. I mean, he was a very a top level handicap hurdler placed in handicaps at Betfair hurdle, placed at Aintree as well. Rarely ran a bad race, and he's about the most professional horse in training, certainly amongst the novices. Completely unlucky on his chasing debut. He would have won when Four Pleasure brought him down. He's since gone unbeaten. And yes, third time lucky went off too hard in that Henry VIII, but the form has been advertised by horses that Edward Stone absolutely destroyed in his wake. Warlord came out and won that valuable race at Lingfield. Um, Minella Drama, who was out of his comfort zone completely in in the Sandown race. He's since come out and won a pretty competitive novice at, at Haydock, and they were miles behind him, 16 lengths and 23 lengths behind him. So I think he's got all the tools. And just a bit of historical stuff, like Mullins has won this race more times than I can recall, but I couldn't think of any example of him ever running more than one. He's 24 mm -hmm. entered at the minute. He's lost his main one. We know that. Mullins has nine, let, including Fernie Hollow, left in at this, this stage. So he's got effectively a third of the field. Unless his plan is to go scattergun in the absence of Fernie Hollow, things would be slightly different this year because it won't be his, his A1 horse who's, who's been targeted at the race. So maybe it's not going to be as strong. And, and I actually think that 11 to 4 that's available on the sports book is a good price about 
Edward Stone. He's done it on the clock. The time figure was 160 on the time form scale in that Henry VIII. And I just don't think there's a hole in him. I think he's extremely solid. Yeah, for sure. I say so, Edward Stone, to hopefully. I mean, you're all about the British this year, Dan. This is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, see how far that gets me. Good. Yeah, we're flying the flag this year. Well, Dan is for us anyway, but Edward Stone looks pretty solid there. But as you say, with Willie Mullins, he's won four of the last seven years then uh, of the article. So, but it is interesting. You say that point that you make about him having sort of multiple entries in this year's race. So, Daryl, do you sort of see him running? most of the horses he has prominent in the market in the arc or, or can you see him sort of sending others elsewhere well the only one i care about came out earlier in the week i was absolutely <laughs> oh thought, yeah to be fair this yeah. is a really touchy subject yeah it now. really is i don't know so, if you heard apologies. that colo- colossal smash during the week that was my heart breaking into a thousand pieces after tipping <laughs> bernie hollow at prices. um look, i've gone back and forward on this race the last few days um it's re- it's really put a bit of a dampener on it for me I, it's not going to be a vintage renewal that's for damn sure, um, it, it, we've got we've got three five-year-olds in the top six of the betting here. Five-year-olds have got a, a poor—I don't want to say terrible record—they got a poor record. Not for thirteen since two thousand and six. Um, I would just be concerned about their experience for, for, for an occasion like Cheltenham going thick and fast over defences. Hatton Colours, for example, um, he's a lovely horse. He looked fantastic, didn't he, on his uh, on his chase debut? But it, it just it just worries me over two miles that he can just put that extra stride in at a fence. Um, he did it at every fence uh, on debut, bar the last. Now I don't know if that was him learning on the job because, uh, as we know, Woody Munners doesn't tend to school them quite extensively. But for me, over two miles, I think you, uh, Bryony, will be able to tell you better than me. But I think you will need to be hitting every fence on a stride and just pinging and pinging and pinging. Whereas with him and that sort of stuttery extra stride, that's going to lose him a good bit of ground. It's very interesting that Dan says to to play now in in this market, because I actually think it's probably going to be worth waiting until after the weekend, just to get a bit more of a clearer picture. I thought Blue Lord was the right favourite, but I just need to see more from him. Free runner race last time, you know, and and, in Ireland, they're very rarely put to the test are they when they're when they're going off the front end you know for for novices I think it's very difficult to to learn on the job and make ground up from the rear of the field so I do think you're at an advantage when you're at the front of the field when you've got very little experience over fences Riviere de Tell for example she gets a weight weight allowance at Leopardstown at the weekend I mean it's only two pounds it's the equivalent of two packs of bacon uh, unless it's coming out of my fridge, I don't really care about the odds. <laughs> there is not. And by the time Cheltenham comes around, I don't think she has one at all, does she? Yeah, she, she doesn't. She'll lose it. So, so, so really, she she ought to be winning at the weekend. It, I mean, it depends how 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 much you value those two pounds. I guess I don't think it, it makes too much of a difference, but that's just my opinion. Um, so if she doesn't win at the weekend, I think she's going to struggle to to win at Cheltenham. That's for sure. I thought third time lucky was was the horse at the price that was probably slightly too big now that Fernie's come out. I loved what he did at Doncaster. It was nice to see him settle in a small field. Uh, I thought it was much more professional from him. He's a brilliant jumper. He makes so much ground at his fences. I think he's a, a really nice horse. Is he an Arkle winner in a, in a normal year? Probably not. He's probably just shy of that top level, but I don't think this is a top level Arkle. It's very hard to pick. Um, I should just mention as well that Dan Skelton did say at third time, lucky had a slight overreach injury. So, whether or not he goes is a bit up in the air. So an anti-boast perspective, probably best to wait. Just touching on Edward Stone. I just don't think the form's there, Dan. I know I know he's done it very impressively. And he, you probably can't ask more of him than what he's done. I just beat and do your job. I know Ward Lord's come out and won, but he's a 145 horse. I, I, he did beat him 16 lengths. He <laughs> did. You, you, you're right. He did. And, and, there, he did. You're right. But you... He's an eight-year-old. Is he going to be winning a champion chase next year? Is he yeah, going to go into a Ryanair? Like, he's an eight-year-old who he only started his career in 2019. So he was late on the track. He started as a five-year-old. He had one, two seasons over hurdles. I don't view him as a conventional eight-year-old. And if we're ruling out five-year-olds and eight-year-olds, then we're left with a very small pool. We just we just got six and seven. Otherwise, you can't well, win. Well, that's where I'm going, Dan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> down, 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 ideally. I, I just... My belief for thinking it's not a bad race to play now is because I don't see Edward Stone's price drifting markedly because mm. it's likely to be competitive between the three of them. But you could have two horses that dent their dent their chances if they don't come up to scratch. And the absolute bonanza scenario, if you're punting Edward Stone, 
is all three of them come unstuck and suddenly you're on the clear favourite for the Arco. For me, it's just about profession, just how professional he is. Loads of seasoning in those big handicap hurdles. None of them bother him. He's a more settled horse nowadays. And I thought it was br- I thought it was brilliant at Sandown. The clock backs it up. I know the race was teed up, as I say, by third time lucky, but he did not miss a beat jumping wise. He looked so assured. And He'll be that turn of yeah, the, yeah, the turn of pace he showed even at Kemp's. I know it wasn't much of a race, but it went from maybe Brian had a bit more to this. It went from as, as a as a viewer, oh, hang on. He's gonna have to fight a bit here to mm. he's absolutely left do your job for dead. And I mean, I I was so impressed with him at Sandown. I thought he I thought he handled a very strongly run race for novices that produced a quick time with a plum, really, which I do think with all that handicap hurdle experience as well will stand him in really good stead for a race like this. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 I do I do get that get that point. I, I I don't want to dig out Edward Stone, that's for sure, because I think he's he's a great horse. He's a fantastic horse. I just something's just telling me that he's not the one. But he's not a I know what you mean in a, in a conventional year. You yeah, you might be saying, Oh, Edward Stone really an arc horse because you think an easier champion chaser, but as you've just said, in the absence of Fernie Hollow, we can't view it as anything other than a potentially substandard season. That's the way I was viewing it anyway. Yeah, no, yeah, I that's agree. The way I saw the article, to be fair, was that it was probably like I say, without our hot pot in this year's renewal, it unless something's going to change this weekend, then at the minute it does look pretty wide open and there for the taking. And Brian, I just wanted to throw it back to you on the Edward Stone um, sort of form line there from the Wayward Lad and obviously Chase. Of course, you were riding solo in that race. I mean, from your visual perspective, putting it into context for you riding against him, how did he seem to you? What was he as visually impressive? So was he as impressive as he looked visually for you in the race? Yeah, I mean, that that race, um, you know, um, it, it was it was it was fine. It was, it was a good race. Um, is it uh, would he like, you know, he, he went by me very easily. Um, so you have to take from that. And at the end of the day, you can only ask your horse to win his race um, in which he did. And uh, every time he's given a question, he's been answering it very well. He's gone for sand down. He's handled a hill, which, you know, Kempton is obviously extremely different to, to Cheltenham. Um, but in the respect that they, they both, the both tracks, their fences come very far. Um, Cheltenham is actually extremely undulating and uh, they have to be very like, sure-footed and they have to be balanced um, with themselves. Uh, third time lucky was very quick over a fence at Doncaster. He probably will want good ground, I would say. Doncaster Road, like good ground up there um, on Saturday. So depending on what the weather will be, will we will we have a wet mark because we've had such a dry winter? Uh, you you don't know, but um, it's it's going it's going to be it's going to be quick. I'd say the the pace will be relentless throughout. Um, you're not going to have much time to to miss anything. You know, even if you do, they have to be very quick to find a stride after their fence. You know, you you can get it wrong, and they, they will get it wrong in races. They're novices. There there will be a moment of uh, having a blank moment into it. It it's how quickly they can get their landing gear out and get into that first stride away from their fence and drive through their cycles to get that that extension in their in their stride and find a a new um, breath and and take forward again. So that's going to be the the big tell in it. Yeah. Don't know this for definite, but um, the Kingmaker's a race that Alan King has tended, probably just because he's got his name in the title, maybe he's, <laughs> maybe he's that beheaded. Um, it's a race he's definitely won with the likes of Voidporusteders before. He's probably won it three or four times. And that is a week on Saturday, I think, at Warwick. So there is a chance that we see Edward Stone before the festival. In fact, I'd say there was a pretty high chance. So uh, it's a pretty key 10 days or so for this market. It will probably be in a very different shape in 10 days or so time to, to what it is at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And is that a trend really, Dan? Is that why you're such a huge fan of Denman? Is it everything that's name related you have to follow through? Yeah, um, I can't think of any other races with Dan in the title. There's not a Barbers either, is there? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm the rather poor, I'm the rather poor and <laughs> equivalent who's not spelled the same. <laughs> it's all right. As long as you're in the same, talk about in the same sentence, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it is a fascinating race of the arc. I think we've covered that pretty comprehensively so far. I'm fascinated by the five-year-olds in here, really. And I know that the lads both said about Riviere Detel, she is not going to receive the five-year-old allowance, wait for age allowance come Cheltenham, but she is 
just to clarify, so you're going to get the mayor's allowance anyway. That we saw to such good effect a couple of years ago, put the kettle on with a five-year-old back in second in Fakir Dudery. So I will put that point then back in, in the ballpark there for St. Sam each way for me. And he's going to be the one I'm going to add. We're going to start this now talking about our antipost portfolio for the festival. I am going to add uh, one point each way, 10 to 1 then about St. Sam for me. And I'm just wanting to get from Dan or Daryl, did you either have anything to add to your portfolio from the article at this stage or are you skipping on? Fire away, Daryl. Uh, not this race. This is a race I, I can't touch just yet, but uh, maybe saying can the other two. Yeah, hopefully so, Dan. Yeah, I am going to. I'm going to add Edward Stone. I've, I think three to one with the sports book is fine. And it is a price that could be shorter in 10 days. And as I say, I don't think a lot will happen between now and then to make it much bigger anyway. So I don't think he's that bad a bet. And it is a race that could completely fall away. It wouldn't surprise me if he was nine to four on the day. If some of the Irish who are effectively Mullins is second raters in in the kindest possible way compared yeah. to Fernie Hollow if they don't live up to expectations in the interim. Go on, St. Sam second string. That's going to be his official title from now on. Uh, mm-hmm. So we will move on to the Turners then. We're going to step up in trip now. I'd say this is the old Marsh, JLT, whatever you want to call it. It is now the Turners Novices Chase. Uh, on the Thursday of the festival, the opening contest, we have a potentially brilliant clash here on our hands between Bob Ollinger and Gallopin Deschamps. The market is as follows, though. Bob Ollinger at five to four, Gallopin Deschamps at nine to four. Lon Press, who is another for Venetia Williams, who I think might have a better Cheltenham than expected this year, but he's in there at seven to one. Then it's Jungle Boogie at 12 to one. Uwen Collar again at 12 to one. Brave Man's Game at 16 to one. And he looks to have been pushed out fairly quickly in the Turners, on that basis, Capadano at 16 to 1, Statler at 16, and then it's 20 to 1 bar. So, Daryl, I'll head to you first up here, please, if I may. Two exciting horses at the head of the market for the Turners, both winning over intermediate trips, over hurdles at last year's festival. Do you see this race between those two? This will not be beaten. <laughs> Thanks, Daryl. I'd sing for Bryony on the first show. Um, Bob Ollinger, <laughs> I mean, I say it, this will not be beaten. That's providing Gallop in the Champs doesn't come here because the market's yeah. having a bit of a the market's having a bit of a flip-flop today. Um he's been mm. backed on the on the exchanges just just gently nudged in the 3.65 for, for the turners. Um and he's just stepping out a little tiny bit for the for the Brown advisory. It's quite interesting actually because Ruby came out today I think and said that Gallop in the Champs could well run in this particular race. But he was five to one uh, for the Turners on the 20th of Jan, seven to two on the 30th of Jan, three to one yesterday, and he's into nine to four at nine forty this morning on the Betfair Sportsbook. So maybe a little bit um, of a clue coming that he might just drop back to this trip. And if he does, I would take back my singing all day long. <laughs> you can um, never take that back. He's mad though, though. How often do you get a Betfair market where? A horse is three to one for one Cheltenham novice and nine to four for the other. It's not like they're completely liquid markets, these two. There's, there is money in them. It's not like there's nothing to lay. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No one seems to want to lay him for the Turners at the moment, though. Um, and so that would just be, I mean, I, he's never been guaranteed to go to, I'd say the RSA, the, the Brown Advisory, has he? He's never been guaranteed to go there. So I don't know why he was so short for that market mm. and then a bigger yeah. price for this. I'd pick, I know he won over three miles in Ireland at, back at the back end, but I, I'd say the mid-range race was the mm. more obvious option. Yeah, that's what I thought beforehand. That's why the market was hugely misleading me. So I feel like it's almost uh, put itself right again with the, with the further moves than today. But yeah, that was my initial impression with Gallup and Deschamps. This trip would be his sort of main aim. Yeah, absolutely. Bob Ollinger for me, though, is uh, I think he's, I think he's one of the most talented horses in training, one of the most talented novices. The thing that bugs me about Bob Ollinger, or not bugs me about him, it bugs me about people in general, right? (laughs) It's it's just the fact that this horse is a novice learning on the job. He comes out and he makes mistakes. Now, as a punter, I like to see a horse making mistakes as a novice over a fence because it unveils their engine. It shows yeah. what they've got under the bonnet. Like Bryony was saying a moment ago, how quick can they make that mistake and then get back into stride? For a horse to make mistakes and still go and win his race the way he's been winning them just marks him down as, as a really talented horse. And it's it's horses like Galloping Deschamps that come out and pop fences really nicely and gently and neatly and, and, and win on the bridle that these people seem to love for some reason. But uh, 
My, my worry would be with a gallop in the shorts is we've only seen him once. We don't know what will happen if he makes that sort of mistake at offence, how we will react. I think as a punter, if you're back in something short at the festival, I think you're going to want to know that this horse has got a bit of an engine in, inside of him. And mm-hmm. for me, you know that with Bob Ollinger. Jumping is something that can be improved. The engine is something that is naturally gifted to him, I feel. And uh, I think he's a fantastic horse. I mean, Brave Man's game's a, a very smart horse. And the way he went past him in that Ballymore, Harry Cobden said that he, he couldn't believe it at the time. Um, so I think I definitely think he's the right favourite here. I think his jumping will improve. I think he's the best horse in the race. La Homme Press is interesting. Mm. He's very interesting. He looks like a grade one winner and waiting to, for me. Um, and he runs at the weekend in the Silly Isles if the ground's good enough for him. But uh, I could see the Galloping de Champs switching and, and Capadano going the other way to the Brown Advisory, perhaps. What if, yeah. um, what if that is just Galloping de Champs and he's just an exceptional jumper? And what if that is just Bob Ollinger and he's... And he's not the most natural. How does that then play out at, at Cheltenham? Uh, I don't know. Even money the pair. <laughs> See, that's what I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask Bryony that, really. So, Bryony, I guess at this stage of these two horses' careers, so you've got Gallopin de Champ, who was just magnificent and didn't make a mistake on his chase debut. And then you've got Bob Ollinger, who was kind of, he just looked, to my eye, fresh and keen, rubbering down to his fences, making mistakes. At this stage of these horses' careers, would you rather, in a race at the Cheltenham Festival, side with the horse that's made the mistakes, learned from it, proven their engine, or a horse that was simply sublime and faultless but hasn't had the mistake to recover from yet? I'd go uh, naturally the one who's flawless. Um, if I'm coming down to the last and the two horses are upside, extremely talented horses, they could well be. Or to even two out there, as, as quick as the two of the, those fences come up. Um, I I want the horse who's who's probably, you know, um, Bob Andre, like you say, maybe he's his his brain's just working a little too fast. He's not quite thinking about his obstacle, hence the reason why he's getting in maybe the into the tight of them. Um, whereas your other horse is maybe more relaxed. He's citing his obstacle um, and he's organising himself. That's why he's always so slick out over them. Um, but uh, I, I would like a horse to sight his fence and realise it's coming to him and, and be able to, to organise himself underneath you. Um, uh, you, you know, it, it, we can try our best to, to give them their stride. Um, a lot of the time as well, uh, jockeys will, will learn our tracks and will also learn the sort of lines we like to ride uh, for certain striding horses. Um, like you will see if we go to a track multiple times, you will, you will, uh, for me, uh, you, you will see me riding the same line as if I met that fence right, I'll come round to it again and try and put them on that same line because I'll meet that stride again. Um, so yeah, if I was coming down to the last, I, I'd, I'd like my partner to be uh, the slick one for sure. Sorry, sorry to jump in, Dan. It's interesting you say that because the best bot, the best jump of Bob Ollinger's recent run was actually at the last when he was under maximum pressure. Is there a difference, be it with a horse under maximum pressure and finding a stride to mid part of the race and just popping away? Yeah, if you're, it's very difficult as a jockey if you're out of your comfort zone early on in a race. Uh, your horse, you can't, you cannot bring him back onto what we call the hops. You can't bring his balance up. Um, he's always heading down onto his forearms because you're having to ask him to be into top gear. So if he's finding it difficult to travel for a race, that's, that's when you see horses making their mistakes because their, their weight is on their forearms um, and they're getting in deep to their obstacles. If you're traveling in your comfort zone, you can, you can hold him up and you can, you can balance him and get his weight behind him so he can accelerate himself up and over. Um, so when you're coming down to the last at full throttle and um, you know, you're having to keep, all your pace there the, you know you, you you can't take back um there's you can't go numb into them um you, you know and uh but you have to try and keep them rolling forward as well as letting them sight and concentrate um and uh yeah you know to, to be able to be at full throttle and and get it right is the best feeling as a jockey when you're coming down to the last and you're you're praying for the stride to be there you're, you're praying that you're together with it as well that you're both on the same hymn sheet uh but when you get it right 
oh, it's brilliant. But when you get it wrong, you know they're just there. Um, <laughs> panic stations on landing, yeah. I've been harsh because I've I've often thought, certainly with some horses, that there are some rather than others, and it's not a technique thing as much as anything. There are some horses you'd rather ask, or some horses you'd be much more confident would come up. I often think, without being rude, that some of the more gutless horses in training, the ones that aren't big battlers, are the ones who are more likely to put in an extra stride as you're throwing them at the last when when needs must. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they're, they're, they're all different and they have what we call scope um, and they all have a different level. Some have a mind-blowing scope where they can come from metres back from their obstacle and past their obstacle and still be metres beyond it too. Um, and then there's some other horses uh, where, where they don't have that level. Um, we, who knows why? Um, is it anything to do with their structure, their build? you know, their fast twitch fibers, who knows what it what it actually comes down to or whether it's just their bravery. But they find their own technique. And as a jockey, you have to, if you're if you're with them for the first time on track, you have to quickly learn what they enjoy to do into their obstacle. So mm. And what you can get away with. Yeah, yeah, what you can get away with. And and there's there's there's, there's no prizes on the floor. Um for, so you know, mm. at the end of the day, even if you are coming down to the last you still have to get over it. So you have to think about, you know, just making them focus and, and trying your best to, to make it as smooth as possible. Yeah. If only there were prizes on the floor for my last few columns for that there as well, because that would have been ideal. My points would have so significantly been... Don't, don't mention Goshen. Oh, God, don't it? No, we won't mention him for you. Like, how many mentions has this horse got for you, Dan, on this pod? It's Told actually yeah, we will see you then this weekend. Um, but Dan, so to wrap up the turners then, so Daryl would rather side with Bob Ollinger uh, in the hope that he's basically proven his engine. Bryony would rather ride Galloping Deschamps if it was head to head down to the final fence because he's proven himself over fences. Where do you land in the turners? Well, I don't have an interest in a bet because of the fact we've got this, this obvious potential that he, he's not going to run in the race anyway. But I was extremely taken by Gallop under Shum. I thought he looked like a real technician. He was accurate every fence. If they both turn up under this price on the day, which I don't think they will be, I probably would. It's one of those sort of thing. Is there a novice chase I'd want to, or is there a novice chase in which I'd, I wouldn't want to back Gallop under Shum when he's three to one? Mm. I don't think there is. So on the day, certainly, but I'd guess he won't be that price. And at the moment, there's just too much uncertainty for me. Yeah, massively so. So that is completely fair. So that is a, a rundown of the Turner's Novices Chase. And we're going to go on to the three-mile Novice Chase race now. This is a Brown Advisory Novices Chase, formerly the RSA, if that helps you at all now. Um, so in the betting, we currently have Galloping Deschamps, who we've just been talking about, currently heading the betting for the Brown Advisory. And so people, some people clearly expecting him to be going here instead. So it's interesting what Ruby Walsh said today, but he is the two-to-one market leader. Then from Brave Man's game at 10 to 3, so a much shorter price than his Turner's price. So again, many believing he will stick to the three miles. Capadano at 6 to 1, Ahoy Senior 7 to 1, Fury Road 8 to 1, Bob Ollinger also in here at 10s, Jungle Boogie at 10, Statler 12s, 3 under 3, 14. And I'm also hoping Bryony can tell us more about him. Then it's 16 to 1 bar. So Dan, your turn to go first. Galloping to Shop's heads are betting. What do, what do we do? Just not touch him at either of these yeah. races? I'd just take him out of the equation as it stands because. I mean, he's, he's nine to four. I don't know what price, because I think there are more doubts about him in this race. I say he did win at Punchestown over three, but is he a three-mile RSA horse, given the gears he showed to win mm. uh, the pipe race last season and the gears he showed even in winning three miles at, at Punchestown? Now, I guess Paul's mare, Silver Forever, will go for the the, the Mrs. Paddy Power. I don't know if Brandy can Power. confirm one way or the other, but she's she's taken to it very well, and she's taken a form boost at the weekend as well when Imperial Alcazar had beaten... It was, she'd beaten in that match race at Newbury, went and won the time farm novice handicap, running to a, about 150. So that was a timely boost from her and she'd get the weight. But I guess this won't be the target for her. Now, I do think there's a bet in this race. And I think it's trusting a belief that things didn't go right for the horse on its most recent appearance. And that for me is a high senor. And I whisper hope it, you're going to say that. Whisper it. Sorry, Brian. I hope. Um, I hope Paul's nowhere to be seen, but um, I, I do think there's a scenario in which he's more effective around here than he was at, at Kempton on Boxing Day. I just don't think Derek went hard enough on him, and I can see why he didn't because the horse was putting in extra strides. I say, and, he couldn't really, could he? Every time he tried to go for him, he was just putting yeah, down on him. 
But the only way he was going to beat Brayman's game around Kempton was by making it a searching test of stamina. The time figure was about one ten. I mean, it just re- was a reflection of a race where you knew the outcome on the home turn, didn't you? Once he'd not got Braveman's game off the bridle and it was a short straight at Kempton with two fences to whip over, you'd have been long odds on, given certainly how a high senior had jumped. But go back to what he did at Newbury. Go back to what he did at Aintree, on, both on left-handed tracks, still face at Cheltenham. And he beat Braveman's game in the staying hurdle. And I thought he put up a brilliant performance at Newbury. Um you can definitely pick holes in the form. Only four ran and how many gave the running. But the horse who was beaten 70-odd lengths, Skelton's thing, Ashtown lad, he was second in a handicap of 140. And the runner-up, Mr. Vincible, did come in with some very useful form to his name. And Ahoy Senor that day showed that he can jump. And I think he's too big. I think the market has taken a negative view on him because of how he jumped at Kempton. But at the current price, seven to one with the sports book and bigger on the exchange, I think he's about 9.6 on the exchange. For me, that's the bet in this race at this point. Um, he too, he's got an entry in the Towton at, at Weatherby. He's got one credible rival looking at it at the five-day stage. He's got Sam Palais, that very progressive Richard Bandy youngster, the five-year-old to beat, and he's got to give him, give him weight. But if he comes back out at Weatherby on a left-handed track and gallops him into the ground in the style that he's done to, to many horses before that, I think that sevens might be a bit of a thing of the past. So I think he's overpriced on the back of what one defeat where there were potential excuses. For sure. And yeah, the, the, I guess the only slight concern is he does love to belt a fence. But as we talk about with Bob Ollinger, he doesn't stop him generally. Apart oh, from the, engine's mass- the engine's that. massive. Engine's- and, I, and I do think Newbury showed that I'd, I'd be inclined to think that Newbury's a better guide to what he's like as a jumper than the Kempton race. I can't believe for a second that Skew at home, etc., won't have drilled this horse to You worried to about going out technique. to the right then? P- possibly, but again, like, his best form is all going on, on left-handed tracks. I mean, he he was sensational at Newbury, I thought. 30-odd length defeat of a 140 horse in an okay time. And what he did at, what he did on only his third career run under rules in an entry novice hurdle, a grade one novice hurdle. I think he's a top-class horse, potentially. And maybe he won't show it until he gets into something like a Hennessy next season or a Scottish national beyond that. But I just think he's very good. And I think Newbury showed he's very good. And I, I thought there were excuses at Kemp. I just thought he got done for toe after not jumping well enough. Yeah, so it's a hoi senor to come back, or probably just been pushed out to too big a price then for Dan to ignore. But, Brian, to go back to you, please. There are three horses, basically, now. I thought it was two originally, and then Dan's thrown another horse into the mix now to ask you about from the Nichols Yard. So, obviously, Brave Man's Game, three under three, five, and then Silver Forever that Dan's chucked into the mix as well. In your mind, who comes out sort of best of those three horses? Uh, Brave Man's Game. Uh, yeah. Straight off, yeah. We, we love them in the yard. Um take nothing away from uh three hundred three five. But he's he's uh if anything, I actually think he jumped is the best round. Uh Cheltenham was in one round there. So he was he was brilliant. Um and uh, for the McNeils it would be awesome to see him come home for them. Um but Brave Man's game uh as a has as a frame of horse he's built for a chasing uh career. Um he's improving in his mind and his sharpness every time he comes out um he's actually coming it was nice to see him at Kempton come down a few levels from his fence he was giving them so much air and so much um you know effort uh it was actually nice to see when the race started to turn the speed on he just came down a few levels and started becoming very economical at getting from one side to the other the last I loved him um you know the, the stride was there but he was just very quick at putting in that half a meter stride and being out and over. His jumping is definitely his strongest asset. Um, and, you know, he, he beat your other horse that day. And, and yes, he went to win at Newbury, but Newbury is a very different track um, completely altogether and a very simple track to actually jump around. So, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the questions are there. It's going to be interesting. 
Definitely for sure, but for sure, Brave Man's game. I mean, his jumping is just phenomenal. So I would love to see that again and potentially putting a few of his rivals jumping under pressure yet again. So, Daryl, I will leave the last word to you, please, on the Brown advisory because we better move on because we've still got one race to go. But I will please leave the last word of you on this race. Brave Man's game is just one of the most cleverest horses I've ever seen. Just, yeah. just the way he manages to switch his legs and, and prepare for a jump, etc. I think he's fantastic. Um, I thought the bet in here actually was Lahon Press. At 33 to 1. Now, this is on the basis of Galloping de Champs perhaps going back to two and a half to take on uh, Bob Ollinger. And then I think that would leave the market wide open. I also think that Venetia wants a bit of cut in the ground. And I'm not entirely sure that they're going to get it. So if they don't get it, surely the longer trip would look more of a plausible angle for her to exploit i think he's a fantastic horse i think i think he's just very raw very powerful jumps well his closing sectionals the last twice would suggest that he would he would get further than the two and a half he's been running over i think he's uh i think he's a big big price in here considering how this could change in a moment or two so i would just take a chance uh lahon press but only only half a point each way if you want to add it to a portfolio yeah, half a point each way. We will take that. Venetia then to have an R, an Arkle Brown advisory double then with Brave Siaska in the Arkle and, and Lompress then in the three miler. What what a turn up that would be. That would be fantastic. But that's going to be Dara's entry for his Antipose portfolio. So we're going to move on to our final race then to discuss. This is the champion bumper. To the delights of all of those baying to scrap the bumpers. This is the ultimate end product for all of those pieces of pieces of work, essentially, throughout the season. Uh, but we do get this wonderful race, which personally I really do enjoy. Um, so bumpers can stay in my book. But it is shaping up to be a hugely intriguing race, as per usual. We have American Mike at the head of the market, three to one. From Fassar Vega at three to one, also that son of Quevega, of course. Mercury, who burst onto the scene five days ago at Goran at seven to one. Redemption Day at seven to one. Pink in the Park, who we haven't seen since September at 14s. Springworld Bay at 14s. The Big Doyen, who we also haven't seen for a while at 16s. And it's 20 to one bar. So, Bryony, firstly, love them or hate them um, in terms of bumpers. And then who do you like for the champion of all of the bumpers? <laughs> bumpers, uh, yeah, I do. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's the moment where you're, you're, you're bringing out the, the new generation to the tracks and uh, you're getting to to ask them the ultimate questions for the first time in their life. Um, and as a jockey, you know, when they're, they're puzzling it together, they're finding the rhythm, they're organizing their breathing with that, uh, they're, they're, their minds are getting blown, they're getting a huge adrenaline buzz, you don't know which way they're going to go. And then you start to see the superstars starting to, to come on the scene. Um, think in the park for me, I've I've never seen a mare quicken like she did, um, mm. and I I absolutely love her. I love the you know her attitude. Um, talking about stride, she gathers the ground underneath her, um, and uh, yeah, if if she goes, I I cannot wait to see see how she comes up the hill. I'm I'm detecting a soft spot for her there, Brian. Is this one you've been riding out by any chance? I have, yeah, made it sound like a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're hoping for I'm the inside sorry. track here. Exactly, this is our insider. Um, no, I, I, I have got it. Yeah, I've definitely got a soft spot for her, but I mean, yeah, she, she was awesome. So I can't. Yeah. Is it, are you then going to tell me, or, or tell all the listeners as well, that there's only one horse that beats her at home and it's Redemption Day, because that's what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> You're hoping. <laughs> no, no, no. I, that's, that's it. Me stumped. I can just tell you she's awesome. <laughs> right. So, so I'm guessing that Dan is hoping for any sort of clues about Redemption Day from the same yard in the hope they yeah. work together and he's blown him out of the water, but still, Dan. <laughs> yeah, obviously I've not got a strong view on the race. How, how can you mean? Yeah. The likelihood is Mullins will win it, although American Mike might have something to say about that. I just had a feeling as a punter that if one was going to be over better of the Mullins contingent, it would be the one who's out of Quivega. Yeah. Everybody knows about the fact that she, he, he's bred to be an exceptional horse as a result of that mare who never lost at the Cheltenham Festival. So when completing anyway. Um, so I thought that was just one potential angle. And just looking through the, the videos of the horses or reflecting on what I've seen from them. And Redemption Day for me was the most impressive I've seen in bumpers so far this season. I think Gary Moore's horse, Authorised Speed, not in it. He's the only horse, I think, in Britain that could live with them for pace. 
whether he goes for the race is a complete unknown, and I guess he won't. But I was impressed with Redemption Day. And just for all our yesterdays, I don't know if you were at the stable at the time, but he's from the family of Cheltenian, who, of course, was a oh, champion bone winner back in the day. Zero Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that was sad when we lost him. But he was such a cool horse. Yeah, he was He was dynamite. He was. Yeah, I just thought he was. I thought he looked very good on debut. Turn of pace. Not a strong race. Only, only a handful went to post. But he's the bumper horse that has struck me most this season, uh, certainly visually. Mm. I didn't actually realise that he was from the family of Cheltanian. So, yeah, he's uh, and Cheltanian was fast. He really was fast. So that makes perfect sense. He's got that turn of foot as well. Daryl, any strong opinions on the champion bump? <laughs> no, no strong opinions on this for me. It's exactly the same as Dan. It's very, very difficult to build a strong case for a horse that you've only seen once or twice. And you're relying sort of on the video and what they've done in terms of speed figures. I was quite impressed with Mercury, I must admit. I love the way he quickened. Um, and just changed up a gear and was able to quicken away from some well-touted rivals. I thought that was a promising David. The issue you've got, though, is he's a four-year-old and they've not got a great record. And I'm a stickler for uh, for age when it comes to the Cheltenham Festival. So. Got a better record than I have. I don't think I've ever backed the winner of this race. <laughs> I'm, I don't think I'm lying there. I backed, I backed Brian Stone Cowboy, the uh, Pizarro crossed him, and huh. I don't how the stewards didn't chuck it out, I don't know. I, that, I think that I should have learnt my lesson then that not to go in. Every single yeah. one of mine that I've ever backed has jumped the road. So I think that I'm a curse in that sense. But yeah, so true both curse. Most I've backed are now pulling carts on the road. <laughs> oh, I, had a bit on, I had a bit on Fernie Halloween running at, uh, around 10 to 1. But other than that, I don't really get involved with these. I just I just like to watch them for the future for future purposes. But I was quite taken with Mercury. I think if all these turn up, it's going to be a cracking race for a bumper. I can tell you that much. Yeah, there have been some phenomenal performances, haven't there, that we've seen so far. Some vision. Every time you think you've seen the next best champion bumper contender visually, another one comes out the following week, mostly from the Willie Mullins yard. Uh, but I'm also with Pink in the Park. I thought she was so, so impressive on that debut start. So no pressure, Bryony, but I'm also siding with her as well. So you're welcome for the curse. So that is then everything from us for this week's show, where we have comprehensively covered those four races. So thank you so much for joining us and sticking with us through all of those races. Next week, we'll be discussing the Gold Cup, the Ryanair and the Champion Chase. So it's three big ones next week. I cannot wait for that. So make sure you join us again. Then a big thank you to Bryony, Daryl and Dan for all of their hard work again this week. Thank you for listening. A reminder that Racing Only Better is out on Thursday and Friday this week. The Thursday recording, previewing the first day of Dublin Racing Festival. And on Friday, recording day two of a Dublin Racing Festival. So a couple of specials for you to get stuck into there. And Wade In is on Monday. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Thank you again. And we will catch up with you again next week. Listener.